Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I'm your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hi, I'm Mariah Rose. And we're hanging out. We're just walking around. Mm-hmm. A little bored, so we figured, you know what we should do? Hop in our time travel machine. <laughs> Obviously, when you're walking around <laughs> bored, that's what you gotta do. So, I mean, I just, I have nothing else going on in my day. Nah. Let's crank this puppy up. Let's do it. Welcome to the future. The year is 1994. You know, I love our time travel machine. Yeah. But I don't know why it insists that every year we travel to is the future. <laughs> that is weird. Why? Maybe it was built, uh, you know, in like the 50s or something. Mm, yep. I get it. So anything after 1950, it's considering the future. Yeah, I see that. Okay. 1994. Oh, <laughs> that was a year. That's the year we met. Was it? I think so. Maybe it was the next year. Around the time we met. That was an interesting year. In 94, I was in a punk band skateboarding all the time, uh, living the dream, living the dream. Just started mm-hmm. high school. Oh, yeah. So it was the, the year we met because I moved to New Mexico in 94 and I saw you for the first time and you looked like an actual alien to me and I was instantly obsessed. Nice. Yes. <laughs> well, we uh, would later go on to form Team Wimmer, but that yep. would be years from now. Yeah. We're still talking 94. Can you think of any movies, horror movies especially, that came Ooh. out in 94? Was, did Buffy come out that year? Oh. Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. You know what's interesting is when, in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, like it was very common for people to say all horror sucks now. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting the further away you get, you know, almost 20 years removed now. How some of these films actually kind of turned out to to not be really bad horror movies and are actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. I was looking at what came out in 94. Okay. And I was pleasantly surprised. Really? Yeah. There's some really good stuff that came out in 94. Lay it on me. Well, probably one of the best films in the Nightmare franchise, New Nightmare, when mm-hmm. Wes Craven returned and went all meta prior to Scream. Mm-hmm. Interview with the Vampire, Oh, which, say what you will, still a really fun movie. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. And it created a generation of people who wanted to dress like Lestat. It's true. Yep. Yeah. Okay. One of my personal favorite John Carpenter films of all time, In the Mouth of Madness. Mm-hmm. This is one that we really like in this household. Uh, one that's probably not on your radar, but I actually think is really good is Leprechaun Part 2. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good film. And then one that we both absolutely loved as teenagers and we have not watched in a long time and have been both talking about revisiting it is Cemetery Man. Oh, dude. Yeah, let's stop and watch that. Yeah. 1994. What a good year, though. That's I mean, there was a bunch more, but pretty decent stuff. There were some stinkers, too, but like Phantasm (laughs) three. Oh, man. Oh, that was our quarantine. You made us go through all of Phantasm. Yeah. I slept through like 80% of that. Yeah, one rules, two is really kind of fun, goofy, and then that's that for, for us. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, well, if it's 94, 
we're not going to be able to see this in the theaters because it didn't come out until the next year and it came out very short and then got pulled. But <laughs> this episode of our time travel, we are talking about the fourth film in this weird franchise that spanned a really long time. Yeah, it's not even like a real franchise. No. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. August 18th, 1973. Reports of a bizarre chainsaw-wielding family began to filter out of Central Texas. Then silence. For 20 long years, nothing further was heard. 1995. Prom night isn't turning out the way you expected. You find yourself on the wrong road at the wrong time. About to come face to face with a living nightmare. Welcome to my world. The silence is over. He's dead now. Madness has returned. Four stars, terrifying and brilliant. This is the best horror film of the 90s. Family values have gone straight to hell. Genuinely scary and sharply self-satirical, Leatherface has a lot in common with the gender-bending killer in The Silence of the Lambs. I want these people to know the meaning of horror. You want scared? Have a look behind you. Long night, boys. I could use a little action. The return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, had you ever seen this one? I don't think so. If I had, because I kind of remembered parts of McConaughey in there. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I just saw a trailer or if I saw it and stripped it from my mind. I was thinking about it too. You know, there's some films that I really did assume I've I've watched. And then when I watch them, like, I don't think I did see this. Yeah. Or if I did see it, I just, it's been so many years, I don't remember. This was one that I thought I had seen. And there were moments where I thought, I kind of remember this, but it could have just been that I caught it on TV or something, mm-hmm. you know, like flipping through channels. I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through until now. Uh, I, I agree. I wonder maybe previews or passing in TV, you kind of watched it, middle of the night situation, but I didn't understand the story. And honestly, I had to read about what was actually going on because it's a little unclear. (laughs) Yeah, it is. What is your relationship with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise? Like, how familiar are you with it? Well, okay, obviously in high school, I saw the original, Mm -hmm. and that was freaky. And of course, like all of us, we heard it was real. And I was in New Mexico in high school, so it was like just over, a state over, so it seemed like maybe it was true, and there was somebody out there. And when you're out in the desert, of course, it feels creepy and spooky, so it... I loved it. It was a genuine kind of fear that I could connect with. The rest I've seen, I think, once, and they're just campy and ridiculous. I grew up with one and two, for sure. Mm-hmm. I love part two. Still do. I just watched it again recently. You watched those when you were like four, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty close. I really do like part two a lot. It took the franchise in a very different direction. And then I recently maybe... A month ago, not even, a couple weeks ago, revisited part three, Leatherface. Mm -hmm. Didn't 
really do it for me. I know people really like that one, but I felt like the tone was an absolute mess. Like there was this mixture of trying to be funny like two, but trying to be serious like one, and it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. I I had a really hard time getting into it, so I don't know if I really need to ever watch it again. Two is the one that has the nothing but trouble kind of vibe, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. And that was also directed by Toby Hooper, but he was doing it with Canon. so... Oh, gosh. We should cover that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a surprise we haven't. All right. Put it on the list. Anyway, so three kind of took me out mm-hmm. of the franchise. And four is interesting to revisit because my general impression is it kind of corrected the ship in a little bit because there is some camp to it, but it's not slapstick. And it's... It's a bit more serious in tone. I was kind of surprised that the moments of terror and horror were actually pretty well done and mm-hmm. pretty scary. And there was some rough scenes in there. Yeah. So I liked four more than three for sure. Okay. And then the one that came after this would have been the remake. Mm-hmm. And then they've done a bunch of stuff since and we just haven't watched any of it. We've got, there's just not enough time. Uh, yeah, Even got, with our time travel machine. <laughs> yeah, I've got other things to do with my life than watch <laughs> a billion versions of Leatherface. But part four. So this was directed by Kim Henkel, who he was the co-writer and original creator of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh. with Toby Hooper. So I think it's interesting that he felt the need to try and bring it back. And he wrote this, although the script is really bizarre. It's a very uh, yeah. strange angle for this family to take. Yeah, I'll get into that later. But yeah. yeah, but that's who we're dealing with. So there is some consistency to the people behind who have made this in the past. And the overall look and feel of it is really cool, too. I think it's got this kind of sepia toned feel and it. Mm-hmm. It's a little darker again. so Saturated color. Yeah, it's a little bit of return to form. Not a whole lot, but more than I think people are aware of, or if you haven't revisited this in a long time, it was surprising that it was, it was a pretty decent watch. So we'll get into our final thoughts on it yeah. afterwards, but that's who we're dealing with as far as the director and mm-hmm. writer of this. All right. Okay, so I listened to an interview with Renee Zellweger, who is our leading lady, our, yeah, very our final young. girl. Was this her first film? I don't know if it was her first film. She was already working with an agent, so okay. she was a working actress at the time, but I don't know what her filmography was before that. There, She had the same agent, actually, as Matthew McConaughey. And oh. in this interview, it, it was kind of unconnected, but the... Um, their agent had been trying to connect them so that they could like hang out and drive to um, auditions together. Was she in Texas also? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. And Matthew, he was just coming off the heels of Dazed and Confused. Yeah. All and right. All right. I know. And he says it in this film. <laughs> that is kind of funny. I was wondering if that was intentional. It had to have been. Or is that just pure McConaughey shining through? To be determined. But they're both very early in their careers. Like, they're not stars yet. No. And, you know, when they met each other on set, they're like, oh, you're the one that our agent has been trying to connect us yeah. for all this time. It makes sense. I actually could see them together. They're interesting. Yeah. There's yeah. a similar vibe there. But more interestingly is how Matthew got his gig. So he 
has a YouTube channel because I think everybody does at this point. I think you're given a YouTube channel at birth. What does that mean? You just talk? What is a YouTube channel? like? Oh, you're so old. People do whatever they want on YouTube. Yeah. What's the point? What's, no, I mean, I know what's what YouTube is. What's the point of a is. podcast? I'm just saying, like, do they just sit in front of a camera and talk about what's on their mind? Or is it like reviews or... Yeah, all of the above. But Matthew McConaughey is an actor, so he likes to talk about himself. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Plays all right. the bongos nude and then talks <laughs> about himself. I think this is pre-nude bongos. Okay. But, I mean, he probably had a, a habit already in place, but... Oh, for sure. It just wasn't known at this yeah. point. He was a secret nude bongoist. <laughs> Is that a, a bongist? No, that's like for a pot smoker. Bongoist. Anyway, so he went, he told this tale on his YouTube channel in his very Matthew way. He talks about how he went in to read for a smaller role. And while he was at the audition, the producers asked him to make recommendations for the lead role. And he did. He's like, try this guy, that guy. And then uh, he started to leave. He went out to the parking space where he had his pickup truck hitched up to a U-Haul because he was going to go for Hollywood. He was leaving that day, U-Haul packed, audition, hit the road. And then he started thinking to himself, why didn't I say me? (laughs) So he walks back in and is like, actually, I want to I want to go for, out for this role. And they they said, OK, go ahead. And the secretary there volunteered to read with him. And there, he I guess the scene he was reading required a weapon. He didn't have one. So he went fishing through some drawer and found a spoon. And he threatened her with the spoon during the audition to the point that she was in a corner crying. Oh, wow. So he was quite aggressive, got the role, and the secretary was like, you convinced me. (laughs) (laughs) Creep. But he got the role. So he ended up having to uh, unload his U-Haul and crash on the couch of a friend's house for a month while they filmed. And then he moved on to Hollywood, where he obviously just vanished into obscurity. I think that this, yeah, right. Nobody's ever heard from him since. I think that this was a very smart decision because one of the best parts of this film is really his performance. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because he's gone on to become a famous actor. I think it's very clear that he just has a natural ability and he plays this role really well. Yeah, I would say the other actors in this film all do just fine, but he and Renee are clearly... Like the leads. Yeah, they definitely stand out. Yeah. So let's get to the movie. The movie picks up five years after the last installment of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Yeah. And there is a brief mention of of the other two sequels at the beginning. Yeah. And so it says basically for the past five years, everything has been silent. So they kind of bring you up to date. Like all this bad stuff happened, but everything's fine now. It's been five years since anything happened. And we begin our film with a weird grouping of teens. So it's like a prom night and Renee Zellweger and her kind of boyfriend uh, and a woman named Heather and her boyfriend, Barry, Mm -hmm. end up in a car. So Heather has just discovered Barry cheating on her. She gets in the car and drives off angrily with the other three. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah. It's kind of like super random they're not a group of close friends and we're in the middle of a couple's fight yeah it is kind of a weird way to pick up the story (laughs) yeah but they then decide they're all going to go for a really long chaotic drive through the texas back roads yeah like you do i mean 
high school, you do kind of find yourself in those places. For sure, yeah. Do you remember in high school our... Like, outside of our town, they had the, like, haunted hill where you would park. I think every town has that. And they'd be like, the ghost children died here. And they'd oh, yeah, you'd park. Course. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we also okay. had some great little, like, lookout points, too, that people go park their car and get high or make out or something. Yeah. And that was always during prom night or dance nights. You mm-hmm. would kind of afterwards go party over in those areas. Yeah, that's just small town, southwestern stuff for sure. Yeah, except for I don't think I don't know what their purpose was. That was, I think, the most confusing setup here. Like, why were they all together and where were they going? I think it was just bodies and bodies to be killed yeah. <laughs> by this family. I think it was the setup. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Heather's driving. Uh, Jenny, who's played by Renee, and her boyfriend-ish, Sean, are in the back seat. Heather gets into a collision with another car. They are all run off the road. The guy in the other car gets out. He says he's fine, and then he falls unconscious. The cars are shot, and they're in the middle of nowhere. So now we have a situation where this unconscious person from the other car cannot be left behind, and somebody has to go for help, because obviously it's pre-cell phones. Yeah. So we have already our first split. So the Renee Zellweger's, Jenny's character uh, boyfriend, Sean, stays with the unconscious guy, and the other three go looking for help. Mm-hmm. They, um, they find, a, it's like an insurance adjuster's house. Yeah, this is really weird. And in the middle of nowhere, this is the part of the story that didn't really make much sense, but it made it feel more campy than serious, I yes. would say, with this this whole element. Yeah, so the woman is named Darla. Hey, Darla. And uh, this <laughs> hey. Darla is really proud of her breasts. She's like flashing people. She's like a sexy late 80s, early 90s kind of gal. And she... Mm-hmm says she'll call up her husband, Vilmer, to pick them up because he has a tow truck. Yes. So, problem solved, right? Yeah, except her husband (laughs) is a psychopath. (laughs) Yes. So, back at the accident, Vilmar, who is Matthew McConaughey, he Mm -hmm. shows up. He's like a a hillbilly, but he's got a machine-enhanced leg. Yeah, and I don't understand what the point of that was either. It also has a remote control, so he can control it normally. Unless somebody's messing with a remote control, then that's problematic. Yeah, did I miss something with that? You did, and I will... Well, not with that, but in general. Oh, because it was recut. I bet you that's what happened. Okay. There's some elements missing. We'll get to that at the end, because there there was a couple things that I was like, this was never explained, or it doesn't make sense. I had to read to make sense and go, oh... That's okay. what's happening? All right. Okay, good. That's good to know. Okay. So he's a hillbilly with a machine leg. And the boyfriend, Sean, is like, oh, good. Thank you. We need help. We need medical help. And Matthew McConaughey is like, no, he's dead. And Sean's like, no, he's not. He's just unconscious. He's breathing. And Matthew McConaughey walks over. And this is when everything turns because he just breaks his neck. And it's pretty graphic. He's a really convincing as this kind of hillbilly psychopath. Yeah, I think he was born to play this, and maybe it's his true form. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so now Sean panics and makes a run for it, but guess what? He loses the race and is killed. We're not going to take you through every kill here. Yeah, there is a lot of death in this. Surprisingly, yeah. yeah it's, it's like a legit horror film. I mean, it's really solid. 
Yeah. And then meanwhile, let's go back to our trio of fighting Heather and Barry and Jenny. They decide they're going to go back to the car now, except for then they separate like idiots. It's pitch black. They, they're, um, flashlights not working at a certain point. It stops working, but they all separate. It's so weird. It is weird. But you know what I love is the visual of what's Renee's character, Jenny. Jenny. Love her in her prom dress or whatever that is. That reminds me kind of Buffy with the dress and the jacket. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Or um, Jill's character in Night of the Creeps with the blowtorch and the the prom dress. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that's such a cool visual in movies and horror movies when the lead is kind of running around in a prom dress or something. But it's just cool looking. Like This one, unlike part three, for me, had a lot more style and tone to it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were playing it more straight horror also, but it just felt more classic. It felt like a classic horror film. Yeah, because she has this white skin and blonde hair. She's wearing a white dress. And then, so Jenny is separated from Heather and Barry, and she's walking through this dark, dark forest. But she looks like a moonbeam almost just flitting through Mm -hmm. the trees. It's really visually pretty, even though you've got all this other stuff happening. But... Heather and Barry go one way and they find the house, you know, the house where everything bad will soon happen. And they encounter two characters, W.E. Sawyer and, of course, Leatherface. Yeah, and this was all shot outside of Austin. So it was in Texas. It was shot at an abandoned farmhouse, which I think is really cool. I like the idea of using like a real farmhouse Mm -hmm. as the set. And there are plenty out that way. Oh, for sure. Yeah, especially New Mexico, Texas. There's farmhouses just everywhere. So many abandoned places because these, you know, little ranchettes or little ranches and farms just couldn't survive. Yeah, they just dry up. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, they're at this house that is not actually abandoned. They see a light on, basically running and screaming through the house. It's good, though. Yeah, Leatherface is instantly terrifying. He is. He's He's a good weird character and he's dressed like a female in this version yeah he's got like this woman's look to him really strange and and pretty jarring and i think if you were maybe not hypercritical of horror films and were just as a casual watcher watching this this is like it's got some good scares yeah because as they're running through and around the property we catch glimpses of so many other bodies and Mm -hmm. horrifying situations so you can see that in fact, nothing has stopped for five years. It's been continuing on and everything is terrifying. And we have like Heather ends up at one point in a locked in freezer and then ultimately hung on a hook. Yeah. Yeah, which is hook. a throwback to the first, but it's a bit more graphic. I thought that freezer scene was really cool because yeah. she's really, and that actress did a good job too. Yeah, she's Canadian. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. There you go. Hey. Hey. Uh, she did a really good job, too. <laughs> and that Jana. whole scene of her getting shoved in the freezer yeah, it looked very real. And I was like, man, imagine yeah. that in real life. Really put yourself in that situation. I also like that there's no delay to this family being absolutely insane. It's not like a no surprise. It's just right there in the very beginning. Yeah. They're all going to kill you. They're all psychopaths and they enjoy every minute of it. Yes, absolutely. And our first death from this group, or maybe it's our second. I'm not sure who dies first, Barry or Sean, but Barry gets a sledgehammer to the face. Yeah. And for the most part, this film, you know, at first is just straight up Texas Chainsaw, kind of a slasher feel. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's not until partway through that the tone shifts. And that's when I was like, what are we watching? Yeah. So let's go back to Jenny because she leads us into the strange conclusion. So Jenny is picked up by Vilmar and she's she learns quickly by seeing Sean or her boyfriend Sean's body. Yeah. Things are very bad. And she's trying to make a run for it. But ultimately, she ends up at the house, too. And there's lots of chasing and screaming until she makes her way back to the insurance adjuster, Darla, thinking right. she has found safety. But is only there that she learns Darla's in on the gig. And they take Jenny back to the house. They also get some pizza. But Darla is not a family member. It's like she's dating Matthew McConaughey's character. Well, in one of the write-ups I read, it said they're married. Okay. But it's never, ever made clear in the film. Right. But they're like an item. So Mm -hmm. she's okay with this crazy family. Yes. And I think the only way to describe what happens next is to kind of tell you what I read because it doesn't make sense. Are you going into the whole subplot? Should I or should we say? Well, I caught a little bit of it, but I would like to know more what the intent was because it goes from like a horror film to... Not like sci-fi, but it's like... Oh, it's sci-fi. Is it sci-fi? Yep. It's like this weird Clockwork Orange kind of twist where they're conditioning people and stuff. What? Okay, what did you read about it? Because it, it was got a little goofy. Okay, so apparently, from what I read, which is in no way made clear in the film, their family is a group of aliens. Wait, what? Who are in cahoots with the government. I don't think so. I, I think... That's a stretch. An agent named Rothman shows up and he's mad because Jenny's still alive and he takes out his anger on Vilmar. Uh, Darla kind of wants to help, but something is embedded in her head. She keeps implying like, you know why I can't do anything. And Interesting. I, mm-hmm. I saw one description of it and this is the read I got too, is it's all, and the director said this, that it's based in the Illuminati And that they are agents for these higher ups whose job is to terrorize people to Mm -hmm. induce moments of, you know, pure terror or something like that. I didn't read anything about the aliens. Yeah, it's for me what I read. And I mean, maybe I just read a couple things that were totally off base, but it kind of made sense with the things that didn't make sense. But it kind of sounded like the whole idea of like the reptilian, which I think is Illuminati. Um, but they're just basically feeding off the fear of other people or utilizing, not not ingesting okay. this fear. But ultimately, Jenny escapes. Yes. And she is chased by Vilmar and Leatherface. At some point along the way, I guess I should say, she killed that other, like, rando guy, W.E. Yeah. And she thinks she's safe when a limo picks her up. But it's that agent, Rothman. And... Instead of killing her, he just takes her to a hospital. Yeah. What? It was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, and then he assures her he's going to, like, end this, but he wanted it to happen. So yeah. What? And then, I, I don't know. The movie ends with Leatherface spinning with a chainsaw. Oh, speaking of which, I got uh, this episode's fun fact. <laughs> Fun 
fact, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 4 has no deaths that include using a chainsaw. <laughs> How weird. It's <laughs> really weird. But there is a really great cha- chainsaw dance scene at the end. Yes, Or spinning sure. scene. Yeah, it's good. Nice little, yeah, I dance by myself. Sort of like uh, Jack and Rose dancing on the Titanic. Very similar. Basically the same scene. Yeah. So this confusion might be explained because of how it was released. So it got released in 1995, opened on 27 screens, and then was pulled. It only made $44,000. And then it was pulled, and there's some confusion about pressure from agents and stuff, but basically, Renee Zellweger was about to break to Mm -hmm. the, the big time. She was... Just about to do, or Jerry Maguire was about to come out. Oh. And Matthew McConaughey was just about to break too. So I think the agent said, like, hold off and don't release this. And so it actually got pulled. It was originally called Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then once it got pulled, two years went by. It got recut and renamed to The Next Generation. And then re-released in 97. Also bombed in the theaters. But... (laughs) By so that bomb twice. <laughs> yeah. But by that point, their leads were now really becoming major stars. Yeah. So that helped. So I think it was doomed from the beginning, but I read that there was at least seven minutes, if not more, cut from this film. Uh-huh. That does not seem like a lot to somebody who doesn't make films, but to people who do, seven minutes can be crucial. I mean, 30 seconds can be crucial. Yeah. In a single line, if you remove it, that's important to the plot, you lose it. So I do... I was wondering that. Like, it seems like something was missing from this film. And now that maybe that explains why. I would say it's almost entirely like all of the confusion happens at the end where they try to explain what's happening. And it's not a clear uh, delivery of their explanation. Yeah, no, not at all. And when the film came out, it was kind of a mixed bag, but pretty panned overall. Mm -hmm. The only real voice that came out championing it at the time was joe bob briggs he was saying like i I don't know what you guys are talking about scary it's got you know it's really interesting and it's a good addition to the franchise which i agree with i think it's been maybe over the years softened a little with people's criticisms i think people do see that and maybe it's not as bad as they thought but it's never Never going to be a home run. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that's maybe the story of this whole franchise of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one was so incredibly important to the history of cinema and horror, especially that everything is naturally getting compared to it. And even if you do a solid horror, it's like, well, I mean, it's not part one. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, duh, nothing's ever going to be part one. Yeah. But how does it stand on its own? And that's what I kind of wanted to know from you is after watching it. What did you think as just a horror movie in the 90s? Well, if I just saw it as an, a standalone movie, I would think it was a hot mess mm-hmm. for real, especially the end because it was crazy. But I would have maybe liked it more because of the fact that it was a hot mess. Yeah. It would just be like campy and funny and be like, are they aliens? Is this for the government? What's even happening? Because we laugh about that kind of stuff all the time and thoroughly enjoy it. I think the problem is, and you you already said it, like part one, it wasn't supposed to just be a part one or it was supposed to be a part one. So it just stood on its own, did its job. And then everybody was like, I think we can squeeze some more money out of this. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And... Unlike other franchises, they 
built on a kind of an already campy, cheesy character, even if the original was scarier. Um, with this one, I don't think anybody ever had like a clear outline of where they wanted it to go, and everybody just kind of tried their own thing over and over again. Yeah, I think that's kind of my read on this franchise in general, is what's inherently a problem is that after part one, okay, you know, we get it. It's a hillbilly family who kills people. Mm-hmm. But once you've told that story, it's a little dry after that. There's not a lot more to it. So to keep going back to it and being like, surprise, there's more family members we forgot to introduce that you, you know, that were hiding in the shed during part one or whatever, you know, I don't know, but that it it gets a little, little dry after a Mm -hmm. while where I think this one works, especially better than three. And I won't say two because I like it, but I do think that. The idea of Leatherface and the family is works at its best when it's serious. Yeah. I think this is one of those franchises that shouldn't try and be funny. I think it's really terrifying on a serious level. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it, but what I've heard from people who have is that the newer ones, like the newer Leatherface and stuff, really does try and bring that back to mm-hmm. just straight up horror. Yeah. And I think that's a smart decision. And that's where this one kind of worked for me is that a lot of it does just feel like a straight horror. It's it's gruesome. You know, there's some really great kills in it. Mm-hmm. For this time in the early to mid 90s, uh, it does stand out as like a solid horror film. Even though it's a mess, it's still a, a, a good one. Yeah. You know, another thing, as you were talking, I was thinking about the origin of Leatherface. And of course, he's based on Ed Gein, the serial killer, who actually isn't that scary of a serial killer. But what was so captivating about Gein was his crafts with the dead. Mm-hmm. And that's what was terrifying about uh, I mean, they're one of many things that were terrifying about the original. And you really uh, lose that in the ensuing films. Either they go over the top so that it's like unbelievable or not even a, a factor. Like this one, they had a scene, you know, with dead people all around a table, but that was pretty much it. There was a pretty interesting scene in this one where the one guy goes into the bathroom and the bathroom, all the walls are covered in like sewn together skin. And it actually looked pretty cool. And I thought that that was interesting. This one was a lot more just house of horror. Yeah. Uh, They didn't hold anything back with this. It was like, you're in our environment now and we have nothing to hide here. This is just who we are. Yeah. I think it would have been a home run had they just stuck to the classic narrative had her battle the family and escape. Yeah, and there's some elements that take me out of it, like his weird mechanical leg where he's got this yeah. box of like crappy TV remotes and he's trying all the remotes to see which one controls his leg. Yep. I don't even know how that works, but I guess my bigger issue was why? Why, mm-hmm. why, why is this leg like this? I was trying to think back. Did something happen in three that this would have tied into? I wondered that also. If so, I don't remember it. So maybe I'm just completely missing something. But if it wasn't that obvious, that's a problem in the storytelling. It means it didn't stand alone. Yeah. Otherwise, a fun watch overall. I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Highly recommend it if you guys haven't seen it. Well, I want to go see Interview with a Vampire for the 12th time. (laughs) Okay. Oh man. Well, that was a fun one. Yeah. I like our time travel machine. Me too. Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) 
All right, everybody. We'll see you next time we hop in the machine. Mm -hmm. Probably won't be for another Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. No, it definitely won't be. Yeah, this is all you get. I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. Either that or we will only do Texas Chainsaws from now on. (laughs) Unsubscribe, unsubscribe. I'm tired already. (laughs) Yeah. All right, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.